Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Genesis chapter 18 verses 1 to 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Marmara while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and make some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set those before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have the son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This evening's second reading is from Romans 9, verses 16 to 18, and can be found on page 1136. Page 1136, Romans 9, verses 6 to 18. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all those who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done any good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told, 
the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Good evening, Paul. Thank you for reading for us. And uh, do keep your Bibles open at that first reading from Genesis chapter 18. We'll spend most of our time there. It's on page 17 of the Pew Bibles if you've just closed that page, Genesis 18. And um, you'll also find, I, I hope, in the bundle that you received on the way in, a, a handout of where we're going in the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have that to hand uh, alongside the Bible. Let me pray as we uh, turn back to Genesis Father, we thank you very much for your word, and we pray tonight for your help, and we are in great need. We ask that you would help us to believe what you have written for us, and not just to believe, but would you please help us to so believe that we are transformed, that our lives are maybe different tonight as a result of what we see. Please, would your spirit work amongst us through your word. Help me to uh, preach faithfully and for us all to listen carefully. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a student, I had a good friend. Let's call him Jack. Uh, we both studied engineering, and so we had many hours of lectures together. And over the four years, we became very good friends. I, I did my best over those four years to explain to him something of what I believed as a Christian to, to show why knowing Christ was such good news. But during those four years, my friend Jack, he, he didn't once show a flicker of interest in Jesus. I, I gave him a copy of Mark's gospel at one point. He, he managed to read one paragraph. That was all he could manage before he gave up. It, it wasn't that he was rude he just thought it was all very funny. I used to invite him along to um, various Christian Union talks during events week, and uh, his default response was, uh, maybe I'll see you at CU. Uh, he thought that was hilarious. Of course, he never came. Uh, I prayed for him. Other Christians I knew prayed for him. Uh, various people spoke to him also about Jesus, but over those four years not a flicker of interest in Jesus. If, if I'm honest, as I saw that four years panning out, I began to find it hard to imagine Jack ever becoming a Christian. I just couldn't see it happening. And to this day, as far as I know, he hasn't. In a room this size tonight, I'm sure I'm not alone in having what is a very common doubt, and the doubt is this, the doubt is whether or not God really is at work in this world to grow his people, the church. And that doubt can come to us because of, of a particular friendship 
Maybe it's a family member who we're very close to or a good friend, uh, someone on our sports team, a colleague, a classmate. And no matter what we say about Christ, they have no interest at all, perhaps over many years. And because of that particular relationship, we start to doubt if God really is at work to grow his people to church. It can be more general. It's wonderful to be here tonight, what, three, four hundred people gathered here tonight, but just a drop in the ocean compared to the thousands who are not here in our neighborhood, on the campus around us. And as we see how small the church is, it's very easy to doubt that God is actually at work to grow his church today. Tonight, Genesis 18 speaks into that doubt with words of great hope and certainty. If you've been coming these last few weeks over this term, you'll know that we've been looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah. They are an old and childless couple. And you might be thinking, well, hang on a minute. What does an old, childless couple who lived over 3,000 years ago have to do with my friend Jack, who won't become a Christian? What's the connection? And the answer is, it has everything to do with my friend Jack. You see, this uh, old couple, Abraham and Sarah, we've been seeing how God had made a, a promise to them that they would have children and their children would become the beginnings of a great nation through whom God would bless them and the world. And as we trace that promise through the Bible, we discover it is a gospel promise for it points us forward to the great people that is the church today. And as we watch this old and childless couple struggle to begin a family of their own, it's the same gospel struggle we have today to see God's church, the people of God, built up and grown person by person. And so for those who doubt that God really is at work in the, in the world today to grow his people, tonight is great encouragement. We'll see God's gospel promises will advance, but first, only according to his timing. We pick up the story uh, back at Abraham's family home, back at the trees of Mamre, verse one. It's the heat of the day, and you can imagine old Abraham settling back after a good lunch on the rocking chair at the front door of his tent in the heat of the day, just for a little siesta, just to rest the eyes for a few moments. And then verse two, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. There's no indication that Abraham had any idea who these men were. They just seemed to appear. Maybe he woke up because of a noise they made. But we, the readers, know what is going on because we're told, verse one, by the narrator, that this is the Lord himself appearing Abraham. Very likely, I think, that two of the three are angels. That certainly fits with what happens in chapter 19, and we'll see that in a few weeks' time. And so I think very likely that the third member of this group is, in fact, the Lord himself somehow taking on the form of a man visible to Abraham. Well, however we understand the identity of these three visitors, Abraham seems unaware that he is in the presence of the Lord the, uh, in verse three, the, the address of my Lord, it's not the use of the divine name. It's just a, a polite greeting used in Abraham's day. Indeed, his welcome is, a, is, um, is brilliant. He, he bows down in greeting, a common practice in the culture of the day. 
Uh, he then offers them hospitality. Again, a mark of common decency. And uh, what is promised in, in verse five as a little something to eat, literally a, a morsel of bread, becomes a great banquet. He rushes around to Sarah, quick, gets some flour, makes some bread. If you notice three seers in the footnote, at least in my Bible, says, um, well, it's 22 liters of flour. Now, it doesn't take uh, much baking expertise to realize that that's a lot of flour. I reckon, what, 30 loaves of bread for three visitors? So there is Sarah kneading away, hurriedly trying to get bread ready. Uh, Abraham goes outside. He finds um, the choice calf, tender, has it slaughtered. A, a whole cow for three visitors. Verse 8, a feast is laid out in front of the guests. And as they eat, Abraham, the attentive host, stands to one side. So here is Abraham, the upright and blameless man, offering hospitality not because he knows the Lord is standing in front of him, but rather just because it's the right thing to do. But as lunch comes to an end, the real purpose of this divine visit becomes clear. See, verse nine. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Here is the first clue to Abraham that the Lord is present because there's no indication why three strangers would know that Abraham was married and that his wife was called Sarah, apart from divine knowledge. She's been in the tent the whole time. And then, of course, the Lord knows exactly where Sarah is the whole time. He doesn't have to find out. But he's beginning a dialogue about Sarah with Abraham. If you've ever been camping You'll know it's how easily sound travels through thin canvas walls. I've spent many a wonderful night enjoying the sound of snoring from the next door tent. Well, so too here. Abraham is at the entrance of his tent, and Sarah is in the tent behind him, just a thin bit of canvas in between the two of them. And it's all set up perfectly for her to hear what happens next. It's all very deliberate. For her benefit, the Lord continues, verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Here is a very clear reaffirmation of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. They will have a son. The plan is still on, and now the timings are nailed down. It will be this time next year. The promise is no longer vague about some time in the future. Now it's very specific within a year. Of course, Sarah is listening, and uh, just in case we had forgotten, the narrator helpfully reminds us just how old the couple are. Uh, We know from the previous chapter, Genesis 17, that Abraham is now 99, pushing 100. He's almost about to receive his birthday uh, card from the queen, and um, Sarah, well, she's been um, getting a free bus pass for 30 years now, as she turns 90 And uh, more specifically, verse 11, we are told that Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Uh, More literally, she was past the way of woman. In other words, she had reached the menopause. Not only had she been barren her whole life, but now, biologically, she was unable to conceive children. The time was gone for her. So verse 12 Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, 
after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's a, it's a laugh of unbelief, of hopelessness, because the timings are all wrong. If God had told her this news 60 years ago, it would have been much more believable that in a year's time she would be pregnant with a child and give birth. But, but now she's 90, it's just come too late now that she's old. Surely the Lord has missed the boat when it comes to keeping his promises. And so she laughs, a laugh of unbelief. She cannot believe that God will grow his family according to his promises. But look at verse 14. The Lord confirms the promise. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. God's gospel promises will advance, but only according to his timing. I'm sure uh, many of you have heard the news that um, Richard mentioned in his prayers about the, the death of Billy Graham, the great evangelist and preacher. I remember back in 1991, I think it was, when I was growing up in Scotland, um, going to Murrayfield Stadium in Edinburgh, um, not to watch Scotland play rugby, although I wouldn't have minded being there yesterday um, to watch the game. Uh, just thought I'd mention that quickly in passing. <laughs> Moving on. I went for a much, much more glorious reason back on this day. I went to hear Billy Graham preach in person. I don't remember much about what he said, but he was clear and faithful. But what really struck me as a, as a young lad, I was a Christian, what struck me was seeing at the end of this sermon, dozens, hundreds, I think, of people streaming forward from the stands onto the turf of Merrifield because they wanted to put their trust in Jesus. And I remember as a young lad thinking, this is wonderful. God's really at work bringing people into his family. And of course, when God works the timing that way, it's much easier to believe he's working out his gospel promises in the world today. When a simple sermon is preached faithfully and then almost instantly people respond in their dozens, the timing works well. And our faith is built. And we think, of course God is keeping his gospel promises. Of course the church is growing. But I wonder if you've heard another story of the missionary Henry Martin who went to India at the start of the 19th century. Aged 25, he arrived in Calcutta. He spent six years preaching Christ. He translated the New Testament into Urdu. But it was a hard time. It was in many ways apparently a fruitless six-year ministry. The stadiums were certainly not filled with people flocking to hear about Jesus. And after six years, he got a terrible fever, and he was so ill he had to return home. But on the way back, somewhere in modern-day Turkey, he, he died of his fever, and strangers who did not know him buried him in a common grave. And... Um, we can imagine, can't we, Henry Martin on his deathbed as he dies of fever, thinking back to his zeal and passion to serve the Lord, trying to grow God's family with the good news of Christ in India, thinking that was a waste of time, pointless. Imagine his friends, his family, laughing a laugh of irony and hopelessness and despair, bitterness even, thinking the Lord's not a work to grow his kingdom around the world. 
Of course, if you know how the story continues, after his death, there was remarkable fruit, amazing fruit. You see, Martin's translation of the New Testament became the catalyst for many thousands, if not millions, of people in that area to turn and trust in Christ over the coming decades. And God did grow his people, but it came at his timing and in his way. The big application for us tonight is do not lose heart. Even when God's timing seems all wrong and nothing is happening, God will advance his gospel promises to grow his people. Just worth being clear that God hasn't made specific promises to us today about specific people. And that can be very hard. I've told you about my friend Jack at uni, who I care about deeply. Imagine many students here tonight who have been asking friends to come to events week these last few weeks, and no one's come, and it's hard. There'll be people here tonight who have loved ones, family members, and we've wept over their rejection of Christ, longing that they become Christians. And it's hard because the Lord hasn't made specific promises to us about specific people. Thinking of this nation It's very sad to see how the numbers of people coming to church actively professing faith in Christ seems to be dwindling. It's heartbreaking. We long that the church grows, but we don't have a specific promise that in this nation, in this time, we'll see growth. But when it comes to the general gospel promise that God will grow his church into a great people, a great multitude made up of many nations... On that great gospel promise, we can be utterly confident that he will advance his gospel. He will grow his church. There will be many, many people from many nations present as they trust in Christ. But it will happen according to his timing. And so don't lose heart. Even when God's timing seems all wrong, I want to just think about Abraham uh, for a moment. We've seen that he's been a very good host in his hospitality, a great example. He's to be commended for his hospitality. And yet, he seems to have failed to do one very important thing. I wonder if you'd noticed it. He hasn't told Sarah about the timings. Back in Genesis 17, verse 21, the Lord told Abraham that within a year, Sarah would have a child. Now, this is huge news to a couple who've been trying for a family for, what, 70 years? To find out it's going to be next year, you you expect Abraham to come running back to Sarah saying, Sarah, you never guess what. It's going to be next year that the longed-for son arrives. But here in Genesis 18, Sarah has no idea about the great news because Abraham hasn't told her. And it takes a divine visitor to rock up at the tent to tell Sarah the gospel promise. Abraham hasn't done it. And I think this is a symptom of Abraham's struggle to believe. We know throughout this whole account that Abraham's faith goes up and down like a yo-yo. He's not a man who has his faith always sorted. And whilst he is, I think, believing God's promise, he hasn't believed it enough to say to his hurting wife, it's going to be next year. 
And when we lack confidence in God's gospel promises, so often we stop passing on the good news of his gospel plan to other people. I think Genesis 18 is here to help us have brilliant confidence in God's gospel promises to grow his people. And so we should be a people who, unlike Abraham, are quick to pass on the news to other people, to not waver in doubt, but to encourage our fellow Christians to to be bold, to go out into our courses, our classmates, our colleagues, our sports teams, and to speak confidently of Christ, confident he will grow his people. Uh, if, if we are aware of Christians who are wavering in their doubts, uh, concerned about the state of the church, wondering if it's worth being involved in mission, telling people of Jesus, we should be the first there to encourage them. God's gospel promises will advance. He will keep his word. Trust them, believe them. God's gospel promises will advance, but only according to his timing. That's our, our first point tonight. There may be some here uh, tonight wondering why God's timing is often so surprising. Why did he wait so many years for the distressed Sarah before he gave her the good news that it would be next year? And that takes us to our second point. God's gospel promises will advance, but second, only according to his power. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said, To Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will they really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Just as an aside, it's worth noting that it takes divine power to even know what Sarah was thinking. Her laugh was a private laugh. Uh, She, verse 12, thought to herself, And yet the the Lord knows exactly what's on her mind. And let's just work this through. So Sarah is now 90. She has reached the menopause. If she had been 30, it would have been much easier from a human point of view to believe that she could have a child next year. But the Lord has waited until she's 90 to then say, it'll be next year. Why wait 60 years? Because the Lord wants to show this couple and us tonight that his gospel promises advance only through his power. Remember the false start with Hagar? That was a human-based attempt to make God's promises come about. It didn't work. And so now, at least part of the reason why God is choosing to use a 90-year-old barren woman as the start of the family of God who will bless the whole world, is that forevermore people will look at the story of Sarah and say that could only have happened through God's power. It could not have been a coincidence or human effort. It had to be God's power that made a barren woman pregnant at the age of 90. Our second reading from Romans 9 uh, do uh, flick back to that briefly if you can. It's on page 1136 in the Pew Bibles. 1136. Romans 9. Uh, there's lots going on in this chapter that we won't have time to think about at all tonight. 
But part of what Paul is grappling with is the question of how the people of God will grow. And in Romans 9, verse 9, he quotes a verse from Genesis 18. In fact, two verses, 10 and 14. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. His point is that the true people of God only come into existence because of God's promise. And then later on in verse 16, as he draws a number of various things together, his, his crucial conclusion is there in verse 16. Do you see it? He says, It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And in verse 17, and on God's power. God grows his people according to his mercy and power and not our desire or effort. And so back in Genesis 18, the, the barren and helpless Sarah illustrates this perfectly. There was nothing she could do to start a family. She was help, helpless. No amount of human desire or effort could start this gospel family. Only God's mercy and power And that is the big application for us tonight. God's gospel promise will advance, but only according to his power. So trust in him alone. I've enjoyed watching the the winter games in South Korea, coming to an end, I think, uh, this weekend. Whilst a lot of fun, in many ways, it's a celebration of what humans can achieve in their own strength. But there are some things that no human can achieve in their strength, And when it comes to the gospel, we are helpless to grow God's family. And yet our tendency to self-reliance is enormous. It took many years and many tears to show Abraham and Sarah that they could do nothing on their own to make God's promises happen. And thinking about us today, perhaps it's one of the reasons why so often it feels like gospel growth in this country is so slow and small. If... um, Imagine if every conversation we had with a friend or a family member about Jesus resulted in an instant profession of faith on our friend's behalf. Or if every time I stood up to preach, um, hundreds and hundreds of people came flocking to the front to become Christians. I know in my own heart, I'll become proud and conceited, thinking that it was something to do with me and the way that I was preaching or the way we were speaking to our friends. There is a warning here about the danger of human Self-reliance, a danger for us here at Forward to think that if we can get the right speaker, the the right music, the right lighting, the right publicity, uh, the right length of of meeting, uh, have all the right answers to all the tough questions people could ask, if we do all the right things on our own, then we can somehow add people to God's family through our own wisdom and skill. We'll know if we're falling into that temptation by whether we pray or not. But God will not allow us to become self-reliant. And just as he waited until Sarah was 90, so he may well wait until we are thoroughly desperate before he powerfully works among us. But alongside the warning, there's also great comfort Nothing is too hard for the Lord. If he can make a 90-year-old barren woman give birth to a son, then he can make even the hardest of hearts 
and the most defiant atheist into a firm believer in the Lord and part of God's family. With man it is impossible, but not with the Lord. And so Sarah has it wrong when she laughs her laugh of bitter unbelief. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. She must have realized that she was in the presence of, of the Lord because she, she becomes fearful at her laugh and she follows one sin with another as she lies about her laughing. But there is no hiding from the Lord as we've seen. He knows our hearts. And yet this whole mysterious encounter as the Lord appears somehow amongst um, the camp of Abraham, it's all been arranged for Sarah's benefit. The Lord understands our hearts. He knows our struggle to believe his gospel promises, particularly when the timing is hard. He gets how difficult it is for us. And so he's kind and gracious to Sarah, turning up to boost her wavering faith that she might stand on this gospel promise. The Lord is kind. He understands our struggles. He knows that his timings can often be hard and baffling. The conversation comes to a rather sudden end. Verse 15, Sarah lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. And that is it. The final word in the conversation. But of course, it's not the final word in the story because in a year's time, Sarah does give birth. At the end of Genesis 18, we have no idea what state Sarah's in, spiritually, emotionally, whether her faith has been strengthened or whether she's still bitter towards the Lord. We don't know. But we do know a baby arrives a year later, and in Genesis 21, verse 6, after Isaac is born, which means he laughs, in verse 6, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And for God's people, for those who put their trust in him, in all the puzzling and confusion that come to us as we stand on God's gospel promises, the final laugh for God's people will not be a bitter or hopeless one. It'll be a laughter of joy. Joy at what the Lord has done according to his timing and through his great power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you understand our struggles to believe, particularly when the timings are so very hard. Father, please give us fresh confidence in your gospel promises to grow your church in this world. And even if at times we feel like weeping rather than laughing, please give us confidence that one day as we see how you've been at work in the world throughout all history, according to your great wisdom. Give us confidence that that day we will laugh with great joy at all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.